Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. Thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hello, everyone. This is Jamie Birch with the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the show today. Again, I'm Jamie Birch, your host and the founder and CEO of JEB Commerce, award-winning affiliate management agency. Super excited for today's guest. So we're going to just dive right into who she is. We have Samantha Morris our senior affiliate manager at JEB Commerce, uh, joined us this year. I have worked with Samantha for a number of years. I mean, we, we've worked together at another agency a long time ago, and I've always admired her. She's always been one of the best affiliate managers and digital marketers on the planet. She started her career at Priceline and has worked with some phenomenal brands since then, Gap, Old Navy. She has worked on the network side. She has worked on the agency side. She's run her own agency. And now she works for JEB Commerce, managing one of our teams and some of our best and brightest affiliate programs. And I'm super excited to have her on this call. We talk about a ton of affiliate marketing. If you are looking for a podcast that dives deep into a bunch of different things, about affiliate marketing, this is that podcast. Samantha is incredibly adept at affiliate technology, recruitment, everything, every aspect about affiliate marketing. I'm super stoked to have her on our team and she has lived up to to and surpassed every expectation we have had. Uh, she truly is one of the best affiliate managers, affiliate marketers out there. And now she's on our team. So we talk about a whole lot of stuff. We talk about network tech. We talk about different types of affiliates. We talk about where the industry was, where it's heading, where it is now and a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm going to get out of the way so you guys can enjoy and listen to my conversation with Samantha Morris. All right, Samantha, thank you so much for joining us on the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. You need no introduction. You've been in the space a whole long time, I think maybe even longer than I have. So welcome to our show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. And yes, definitely a long time, which is a better way than saying I'm old. Yeah, well, well, we're all getting to that age now where it's hard to avoid. I, I celebrate 48 years this year, and I'm feeling at times every damn year of that age. But you're you're dialing in in a way. Now let's expose how old we are with that phrase from probably the oldest home anyone's ever dialed into the podcast. I love. The house, 1792, it was built? 1792, yes. Yes, I fell in love with the house just living in the area for quite some time. And when it finally went up for sale, I just jumped at the chance. And from the moment I walked in, I knew it was going to be my home. So 
That's awesome. And and you're doing, are you doing a full remodel on that now? It looks like a lot of work's going on. Ton of work. What we're doing is bits and pieces at a time, trying to keep kind of the history to it while upgrading things like windows has certainly been a challenge. <laughs> we just had the, the outside of the home repainted, which was pretty interesting seeing them with a lift and trying to fix old bricks and, and things like that. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite the ride so far this summer. Always something going on here. You know, when I saw you post a picture to our team Slack of the house without shutters, I thought of a movie with Tom Hanks and... Uh, oh gosh, was that Money Pit? <laughs> it was Money Pit. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to share a picture of the the scene of the front of the the building because they looked a, a lot similar. But I can imagine all the the effort goes into to bringing something up to to a little bit more modern that was several hundred years old. For sure, and we did actually remodel our upstairs bathroom a, a little over than a year ago, and thankfully, in the ter- first tub fill, the tub did not go through the ceiling. <laughs> Uh, that movie's hard to watch. We are going through a, a little bit of a remodel over time. So we're spending maybe the next five years upgrading our home. And, and I don't know why, but I hate I hate that stuff. I don't enjoy any part of it. But looks awesome. Great to have you here. As I said in, in the intro, you joined our team earlier this year. We're super excited. And you and I have worked together in the past, a uh, long time ago in, in a previous agency life. But So I know kind of how you came to the space. But for our listeners who don't know you, tell us how you found affiliate marketing. What's your origin story? Sure thing. I was living in Massachusetts, had ended up relocating to Connecticut for my fiance's job at the time, and was just kind of surfing around for the next thing for myself. And I had been a marketing coordinator for a company based in Massachusetts and had touched radio and newspaper, some online things for them. And as I was surfing around, landed on Priceline.com and they had this role They weren't even too clear of what in the world that role was going to do. They knew there was this system, and it was called LinkShare at the time, and they knew that they received sales and airline bookings and hotel bookings from it and from (laughs) supposedly people who they weren't even sure who those folks were. And they knew that that was all happening with the system, but they weren't exactly sure how or why or any of those back-end types of details. So I actually took on the role, gosh, probably 2001, maybe late 2000, early 2001, took on that role. Went down to New York City, sat with the LinkShare folks, some of the you know, old school folks within the space, Denton and the Messers, and oh, yeah. uh, learned all things affiliate marketing at the time. And uh, very quickly, uh, the company and, and Priceline and myself came to the re- realization that our top two partners within the space were... URL hijacking and paid search, which obviously we have lots of ways to monitor that these days. But at the time, it was so many folks could kind of fly under the radar and, and do that and make you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And they were generating that revenue. The brand wasn't sure how. And, and so, yeah, it was uh, quite an interesting play. And that was my first role within the space. And I you know worked directly at that company for a number of years until I moved to the West Coast. 
That's awesome. So 20 years ago in the travel space and, and yeah, people now, you know, <laughs> again, it's the whole, I feel like we're going to go into back in my day, we used to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow, but that's <laughs> a really good example of, you know, where the industry has gone now, right? We have such a better toolkit to watch for that. The one, the example I always give for me was we had a couple affiliates kind of doing the same thing, but they would geotarget all their paid search ads around my travel. So they knew I was at Coldwater Creek in Idaho. Yep. They knew I traveled to LinkShare's events in New York. And I also went to Affiliate Summit. And then one time I traveled somewhere out of the norm and decided to check. And all they were doing is adhering to the rules in those areas they knew I was going to and completely yeah. blasting paid search against our terms and conditions everywhere else. So that was the first time I, I had exposure to geotargeting. So talk to me about your path since then. You, you've worked both for large advertisers, networks, and agencies, sort of all the spaces, all the places and organizations that touch affiliate marketing. After Priceline, what did your path look like? I moved out to the West Coast and got a job. I was actually still working for Priceline remotely, ironically, as we all are these days. But I was working for Priceline remotely for almost a year before I landed at Gap Inc. Direct. And at the time, they had um, Old Navy, Banana Republic, and Gap. And I oversaw the affiliate program for those three, which at the time, for those folks who have been in the space for a while, will remember the name Be Free. At the time, they were yeah. on Be Free, which was just kind of almost like an app instead of an actual web network that you you logged into. So yeah, that was like a downloadable tracking system, right? It was on your server side. Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. They actually though had some pretty cool features that I wish some networks would bring back to this day when it came to their <laughs> messaging functionality. It was pretty neat stuff. And I uh, was there for gosh, a number of years and again a move brought me back to the East Coast. Moved back to East Coast in about 2004. Awesome. Awesome. And so then you, you spent some time on the network side and with several other agencies. How does that, so that broad experience, how does that help you now? What's, what's unique about seeing this, the channel from all those different perspectives? How has that changed, you think, how you manage programs and, and how you're, you're doing that now? It really gave me a chance, you know, being directly at a brand as my first experience within the space really gave me an appreciation for all of the things that the brand was ultimately concerned about and, you know, protecting the brand, making sure that they're, you know, were, are these customers new or repeat? And at the time we had no idea how to tell that there were definitely yeah. you know some antiquated pixels if, if there were within the space. <laughs> it just, as I went from there to an agency was my first role outside of a direct company. I became the director of client services at that agency. I feel like because of my 
desire to make sure that we were putting the client first, as opposed to just looking at agency numbers and how many clients we had in the door. I was looking more so at those clients as just an extension of our agency and making sure we were always putting our best foot forward and and had their best interest in mind. So that certainly, you know, has been kind of my go to market from a management perspective since I started within the space was just even if from an agency or a network perspective, it might be something that's driving a ton of revenue for the agency. If there's performance fees involved, I always look at the brand and think, you know, if this was my own company, is this how I would want to run it? Uh, so I think, you know, again, a lot of folks that we see come into this space these days are coming into an agency or coming into a network for the first time. So they don't get that direct brand experience. And I I feel like that's certainly helped me throughout the years, just look at things a little bit differently. I always felt the same for me too. It's hard to, you know, we can empathize and put ourselves in other people's shoes, but it's hard to really do that if you haven't actually spent the time in there and and knowing what, you know, our clients are are dealing with because we have dealt with that is, is I think a huge advantage. Now you've worked with, you know, some you know, enormous retailers like Gap and, and some other brands. How has retail changed since then in, in relation to affiliate marketing and shopping online for clothes? I mean, I remember when I went to Coldwater Creek, I've, I, even though I was managing their affiliate program and paid search, I at the time I was like, I'd never buy clothes online. I have to go try them out. So I know for me, a lot has changed. But how has the retail experience really changed? It was never even that question of online versus offline. At the time with Gap, it was just, okay, Mm. these are online. And that was solely the end all and be all of of the channel. There were no card linked offer partners. There were no, you know, kind of in-store apps, if you will. There, you know, a lot of the folks like Ibotta and Dosh and and then of course any of the the card linked offer partner, they just didn't exist. So there was never they were very siloed with that online offline piece. And if there was a conversation of, well, I prefer to go try my jeans in person to the brand, that was fine. And that was somebody that would go purchase that way. There were at the time, Ebates, you know, now Rakuten, obviously, they did not have an in-store offering or in-store cashback It was all very much reliant on a a pixel as opposed to any other technologies. So seeing that change over the years, seeing things like buy now, pay later apps come into play, those were never even a blip on the radar. And if if I could, if we could go back now and travel back and kind of kind of create those and and uh, and be the founders of of those types of companies, I. Worlds and paths would be a lot different, but you know, it is what it is. It was just very interesting. And to be honest, there was never even that conversation of how is the affiliate channel possibly cannibalizing these other channels? Like that wasn't even a concern in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like just, you know, brands have become a lot smarter, spending dollars where you know, it's going to make the most sense for them. And everyone's more focused on that incrementality question, as well as how do we get more new customers? And then it's obviously the brand's job to retain them. But yeah, there were so many pieces. It was, uh, you know, sometimes you wish you could go back to those days when it was so simple and cut and dry and, and there weren't all those complex questions, but it's just amazing to have seen it 
make these changes throughout the years because I feel like some folks who still have that misconception of the person in the their pajamas hijack bidding on trademark terms and they have those misconceptions still there was certainly ton of ton of that going on back in the day without all of yeah. those technologies and and not a lot of folks had those eyes on the affiliate channel and now it's really you know come to the forefront and now the, as some of the bigger editorial partners within the space are starting to have commerce plays like it's certainly you know finally getting the eyes on it and the the recognition it deserves. Yeah. And we just saw, I think the Wall Street Journal yesterday Mm -hmm. put out a release and announced their commerce section. I I forget what it's called, but that happened. I think that was yesterday. That's gone out. So you talked about a couple of things that maybe some of our people, our listeners won't know exactly what they are. So card linked offer, tell our listeners what that is. Sure. So a card linked offer is, you know, let's say in the world that you are going into a store, you're using a certain credit card, it could even be a debit card. And you're one of those customers who, you know, you're, you're either that coupon clipper, or you're regular shopper through mileage reward sites or, or cash back sites, where even if it's 1% back for your dollar, darn it, you're going to get that 1%. There are lots of partners within the space from financial institutions to even just your loyalty partners where you can either go into an app or go into their website, kind of show that intent on making that purchase and link said credit card to the technology. So whether it be Rakuten or American Express as a great example, you basically kind of opt into an offer or even just the brand itself. And then you can make that purchase in store and the brand has a specific merchant ID that's tied to your card, whether it be a Visa, a MasterCard, an American Express. And then the partner who is tracking that knows that merchant ID. And when it sees that intent, when it sees that connection, it knows to give you your X percent back on your purchase. Or I actually just recently did an American Express one that was, gosh, I think it was something like, gosh, get $25 back maybe when you purchased over $150 or more at Ray-Ban. And that was internally within the American Express system. As long as I opted into that within my little dashboard and portfolio, when I did X thing, it then put the $25 instead of into like a cash back situation, it just added it as a credit to my credit card statement. So it's a definitely an interesting way to make sure that you're still, as a customer, getting a chance to take advantage of all these cost savings opportunities that have presented themselves today while still having that chance to go into a store. Yeah. And so now there's a way to track, you know, wherever that customer purchases with those type of affiliates. And I, th- I think we have in next week on the show, we have someone from FIG who does this that will be on the show. We'll be talking uh, quite a lot about that. But you also mentioned media and commerce. And so for those listeners who don't know what you're talking about or what we're talking about with Wall Street Journal, talk to me about what those are and and how how those have emerged in, in importance, especially through the pandemic. Sure. We heard from, actually went to a performance live conference in, gosh, was it April or May? All my months are rolling together and, and heard from <laughs> actually Meredith and BuzzFeed and a lot of those media partners where 
Traditionally, it was the PR team that was knocking on doors, speaking to editors, sending out product. And all of these folks would kind of talk about whether it's a product review or those those wrap-ups we're probably all used to seeing on BuzzFeed, as an example, top 30 plus gifts for dad would be relevant these days. While that used to take a lot of folks to kind of make that come to fruition and, and oftentimes would take PR really pushing an editor as well as product in hand and maybe even flat dollar amounts committed to from a brand on their side. Now, a lot of these larger, more traditional, even magazines, you mentioned Wall Street Journal is a perfect example. New York Post I'm chatting with next week. They all have these commerce or shop areas of the site where they're really taking a chance to monetize the content on their site. They have all these great articles and reviews. You know, they're ranking really strongly for some some great, great keywords. And they're taking that chance to monetize by either working directly with a brand or using a, an aggregator within the space. And they're willing to take that chance from a performance standpoint, because as we saw during the pandemic, like you mentioned, all these marketing budgets were getting cut left and right. And you know, they weren't selling these twenty, fifty, hundred thousand dollar packages like they used to because things yeah. were just pulling back so much. Stores were closing. You know, all these things and moving pieces made them really take a step back and look and say, "Well, how can we still make sure that we are, you know, making money when we can't sell these packages?" And that's where a lot of them really started to get their feet wet within the affiliate space and see that they could actually earn money by writing relevant articles and sending folks to brands, you know, to make a purchase or at least to consider a purchase. Yeah. Do you think it's the reduced friction that the affiliate model provides? Like it's very easy to have a relationship with an advertiser as opposed to like you worked through before to get something like that out in, in, you know, old school ways, PR is involved, products in hand, like there's a lot of work, but now they can simply join those networks find the, the advertisers they want to work with and join, get approved, get access to all that. And it just happens. Is that happened? Is it consumer behavior has shifted the need or is it like all those things, including the need for revenue for those organizations? Yeah, I think it's all those things, you know, inner folks like Skimlinks and Sovereign within the space. Skimlinks notably works with a lot of those top editorial partners you're thinking of yourself as the editor and you wanted to write about something and and possibly make sure that you're proving your worth to your publication, if you will. Well, instead of those particular placements being sold and they weren't being sold during COVID, instead of that being sold, they could know that they were linking out and somehow still making the brand money. And you know, like I said, inner, inner folks like Skimlinks who just made it so exponentially easier for that editor without maybe necessarily knowing the ins and outs of a, an affiliate network. You know, they're not having to get product in hand oftentimes, or they couldn't. I know BuzzFeed, again, perfect example during the pandemic, instead of sending stuff to the, their office, they were asking people to send to the their editor's homes and you know, and by the way, they wouldn't tell you the editor's name. You had to send it to BuzzFeed editor. And then that 
person's personal mailing address. You know, they weren't having to sign insertion orders, get commitment from the brand on paid dollars, all these other things that used to have to come into play. It's literally as simple for them as thinking of what that content is going to be most relevant now. We've got Father's Day this coming weekend. You know, top gifts for dad, unique gifts for dad, top, you know, whatever it might happen to be, you name it. There's probably some type of Father's Day gift guide out there. They can literally just be knowing in their head as the experts for gear with gear patrol as the experts for maybe some more luxury things like tap watches or something. They know which ones are their top and which ones are their go-tos for their customers. So they can just link directly to the brand's website and never have to worry about signing up for multiple networks, getting approved for that brand's program, waiting to get approved. You know, they're on deadlines too. So you know, I think within that affiliate space and all of these different partners that we do have today, they're really, you know, helping to kind of tie, put a bow on it and, and make it as easy as possible for them to keep earning money without a brand kind of pre-committing to some pretty hefty paid marketing spend. Yeah, that's great. And we're seeing a, a ton of success with those things. Are you enjoying the show this far? We cover so many different strategies and stories on the podcast. Sometimes it can be difficult to keep up. We get it. It's why my team and I compiled the very best strategies, and we counted 20 of them in affiliate marketing programs and put them together for you so you can assess the health of your affiliate program and be able to optimize it for the best possible results. You can get that guide at jbcommerce.com strategies. In the guide, we go over how to address your commission structure, your coupon strategies, 10 questions you need to ask to identify strategic opportunities, the many ways you can utilize your affiliate partners to react and pivot rapidly to our ever-changing ecosystem, and so much more. Now, I want you to be able to access these strategies 100% for free simply for being a listener of the show. Get access to them today at jebcommerce.com strategies. Now, back to our show. Samantha, we just talked about this and kind of there's a little bit of thread going through. We talked about geo-targeting. We talked about hijacking links. We talked about working in their pajamas. And there's this thread of how maybe how the industry started and things that were going on. But we've, you know, you and I have been in the space for the same amount of time and we've been consistently dealing with this from advertisers and some may be listening and they distrust the channel. Talk to me about where you think that comes from and how our industry has handled it. How have you handled it? But how have we as a channel kind of targeted the distrust that some of the advertisers may have? For me, it's really been relying on and and making sure that the brands I'm working with either directly from an employee standpoint or more so that agency standpoint, right? Because they have all these questions and and maybe not necessarily understanding the affiliate channel as a whole. They're kind of putting that trust in the agency and or even oftentimes in the network to manage the program for them. So I definitely ruffled some feathers a a few times when I was at a, a network who, as most people do know, but for those who do not, oftentimes the more traditional networks that have been in the space for quite some time, any revenue that's driven through the network 
that network does take a small portion of that revenue. So it definitely behooves the network to be driving as much revenue as possible through their system because that is a moneymaker for them. So, you know, again, going back to that wanting to be the person who is doing things with the client's best interest in mind, I think for myself and a lot of folks that I know within the space and, uh, you know, yourself and even Lagitza, who's with our team, who's also been in the space for just years and years, making sure that we're asking all of those hard questions up front and thinking as the brand to know you're okay, great, you're a new partner within the space, but do making sure we're doing our due diligence when a new potential partner for the brand comes to the forefront and is introduced to us, making sure that we're getting on a call with them, understanding who they are, that there's somebody behind that name and that email. And and even if ace to these days, right, as Zoom calls and, and all of those become super important. I mean, there were times when I was first in the space that, and I'm thinking of one gal in particular who was with National Geographic, I think we knew each other for probably seven years before we ever knew what one another looked like or (laughs) ever even, you know, and there's folks in the space that I have not met to this day that I still speak with on a regular basis. And I've not just never met with them, but I've had those conversations. I've had the difficult conversations with publishers, partners, affiliates, uh, you know, we'll use those interchangeably have those difficult conversations and ask those questions from a almost from a brand perspective or a brand concern so that the brand at the end of the day can go back and think wow like they really are making sure that this is somebody we would want to work with i think i had the question actually it was from a current client i had the question not that long ago we declined an application and that individual and who knows if it was a real person or not, to be honest with you, but that individual (laughs) came back and did the standard. Like we rank strongly for SEO and we want to be with your brand, et cetera. And to the naked eye, the site looked completely fine. But as you, you know, it was definitely, it was a coupon sites and the brand was okay with coupon sites. So theoretically, the partner, the brand, when they looked at that partner site, thought, well, why in the world isn't JEB approving these folks and, and what's going on? And what we were able to show them using all of the things that we have within our, our kind of our toolbox, we were able to show them an SEM rush that, you know, by the way, they had, they weren't, weren't even ranking in SEM rush at all. Mm-hmm. Their traffic far too low. We were able to, you know, we were doing those extra steps of clicking on their social links and seeing that they were posting nothing relevant, nor did they have much of a following, nor of that following using yet another tool that we have, were any of their followers engaged. And by the way, of the, gosh, I think it was maybe 15,000 followers, which, you know, seems decent. Of those 15,000, one of our other tools told us that over 75% of them were fake. So, wow. you know, we're going to kind of uncover all those things that the brand doesn't necessarily have that time, nor do oftentimes, you know, they're wearing so many different hats from a marketing manager or marketing director perspective these days and being asked to do so many things. They don't necessarily have the time to dig into those details, you know, and, a lot, and often they also don't have those years upon years of experience where, you know, a lot of the agencies with some of the folks who have been in the space for quite some time, aka old people, <laughs> we can we can share that with them as oh I've seen it. mature. I love mature experience. <laughs> yeah. You know, we 
we can say, oh, yeah, that does look great. But here, let me show you why this isn't wonderful. And that just kind of solidifies to them. Well, initially, they're thinking, oh, gosh, they're not doing XYZ and they're not approving these partners. That then goes hand in hand with ensuring them that we are doing what's best for them because now they know that we've done all this due diligence on the back end instead of just staring in a network and approving or disapproving somebody. Yeah. And it's sort of the opposite. It's the other side of the coin of reducing friction. You know, on one side, it allows these media companies and and great publishers to do things quickly with multiple partners, little red tape. But on the other side, it does allow others to come into the space and try to work their way around the rules uh, and drive sales or take credit for sales or hijack sales. So you really do have to be diligent. And that what you just said is a lot for someone to do when an affiliate doesn't pass the sniff test. And yeah. how do you know that? It takes, it takes a lot of time. I appreciate the... And knowing what tools to go to as well. And again, you know, all the way, way back when, it was trying to like do detective work to find out what half of these folks yeah. were doing and not necessarily knowing what resources you needed to answer these questions or to prove that somebody wasn't who they were. You know, I've had instances where there's been, I'm thinking of them right off the top of my head, and it was a really great blogger and she was wonderful. And little did she know that there was a site out there who was completely copying her site. We're talking word for word, like mirroring yeah. it. She was on a network and I had only ever found them on one network. I was with an agency at the time. So we were you know, completely network agnostic as we are today. Was looking for them on the, all these other networks and just never found them and thought, what in the world are these folks doing? And all that was happening was it was a name in which it was Southern Curl and Pearls. And there was another version that was Southern Curls and Pearls just one little letter and you know one person was copying everything the other person was doing and then you had these brands who weren't necessarily digging in and uncovering why and i remember when i first looked at the fake site i thought wow this looks great yep this is perfect and there's our banner right there so that must be how they're generating all of this revenue and we weren't necessarily armed with everything on the back end, like IP reports and click referral reports and things like that, that these awesome networks give us to these day, to this day to understand that all they were doing was doing a kind of showing a great front from a yeah. website perspective. But on the back end, all they were doing was bidding on the trademark. Yeah. Lots of stuff to navigate through a modern day affiliate program for sure. And, and one of the things, you know, I've come to lean on you a lot lately, especially with client launches, but in general is your technical aptitude and your knowledge of the networks. And you alluded to this a couple of times that the technology has really changed and the tool sets that we have are so different, but what are some of the most intriguing tech features from the networks right now that you're excited about that you're using? Gosh, they have changed so much. And being the resident nerd at JEB, I love, <laughs> absolutely love talking about tech things. You know, we recently did a launch with a client where you, know, you have things within the lead space, which was to be completely transparent, never a huge piece of what my experience was. And have definitely dove into that a, a lot more within the past, I would say 10 years, which still seems like a lot. I was always retail, retail, but 
seeing things within it, and this didn't even exist within networks at the time, but seeing a, a type of brand where somebody creates an account and then they start a free trial and then that trial after a certain time frame turns into a subscription and then it turns into a second month's worth of subscription. All of those types of pieces within that customer journey was never something that could pretty easily be mapped out within a network. And now I would say almost every network supports it in one way, shape or form. Uh, I love the way Impact supports it. And I believe Partnerize does as well. But the one that we just set up was was an impact piece. But, you know, having the APIs and working with the brand to get that data into the network so that you're able to make better decisions on, you know, not so much a click to an account creation, but ultimately a click to customer creating an account, then they started a trial and then they moved into a paid subscription that becomes way more valuable for the brand than just somebody who created an account and then never even started a trial. So having that within the space, having things like attribution within a lot of the networks where simple things like crediting in your affiliate channel on first click rather than last click were just, you know, for a lot of brands, they still aren't even thinking about that. A lot of networks now too have types of uh, preferred types of publishers where you're saying, by the way, if LTK, which formerly reward style and influencer network, if a click comes in from them, but then a click comes in from anywhere else kind of after that, let's have LTK be the preferred publisher because that's an influencer and they're probably introducing said customer to the brand for a first time. And, and there's often, you know, brands that find that as the most valuable. You can actually split it across multiple types of partners these days where, okay, let's give a little bit of credit to the person who, where the customer came in first, and then let's give a little credit in that middle. And then whoever actually closed the deal, that last click, I think Impact calls them the closer. There's an introducer, an influencer in the sense of, a broader spectrum across all the mm-hmm. the categories and the verticals, not necessarily an individual. I think there's a, the introducer, the influencer, and the closer, and you can kind of split it across the map. Yeah. Now, granted, you then muddy the water when you're working with some of the loyalty partners because that customer ultimately is going to want the, their cash back. But even that's one of just the, the cool pieces within the space that I love introducing to brands who maybe they don't want to work with coupon and deal or loyalty and they're laser focused on that influencer in the sense of an individual or they're focused on a traditional content partner and they really want to see how they're moving the needle. So that too, gosh, there's so many pieces, even coupon, uh, you know, coupon code recognition within the pixel. Like that was never a thing. You had no idea how a particular coupon code was doing. And now knowing that you, knowing the performance on that, because obviously it's in the pixel and then being able to do actionable things on it. Like, you know, we have a brand now who they'll send out on their, uh, their SMS list and they'll send out text messages with certain exclusive promotions and they don't want the affiliates to promote those. They want to try to get a clean read on how performing. And, you know, we can do our best to keep it off of partner and and affiliate sites, but ultimately we can exclude that coupon within all of the networks to this day, to be honest, we can exclude that coupon. So at least we know 
not only are we telling the partner, hey, don't promote code SMS 10, but we can say, by the way, you're not going to get a commission if you allow that on your site. So it's probably in your best interest to not put it up anyway. But we then have some of those little tools on our back end. We can we can do that or we can do the inverse. We can Jamie, this awesome influencer who's talking about the best saddle out there within the space. (laughs) Hey, I know this guy. Yeah, I know this guy, the, the horse riding enthusiast. His code is is Jamie Ten, and he can put that out there. But even if he doesn't actually use a tracking link within his Instagram bio or his YouTube video, you know, and he just mentions the code, we can tie that to a partner these days, which is just yeah blows my and mind. You know- came from that's an actual example we did with SmartPack. So one of the things that I get excited about is the non-traditional tracking because it opens up. Now your affiliate pool changes dramatically. So the example with horses. So, uh, you know, yep, that's me. I'm a horse enthusiast. We worked with a horse retailer and where, you know, if you look at how those consumers shop and that's like the the first thing you got to look at, right. Is where, what's the audience doing? Well, horse people follow horse trainers. And when you go to a clinic or you have a lesson or you see someone at the show and they're using this stick and string or this supplement or this boot or whatever they're using, the people who follow them, they'll go out and buy that stuff. So right now or in the past, you didn't have that offline, online, you didn't have the ability to really get some of these, you know, I wouldn't call them affiliates, they're horse trainers or they're, you know, whatever they are, they're, they're an influencer of sorts, but they're, they're not using a website. So we use that coupon code tracking and they were able to say in their clinics and their lessons, Hey, and if you want this X and Y thing, just go to SmartPack and use coupon code Danny. And that'll get it. And if you go to SmartPack slash Danny, you'll see all the items I use. And it opens up a whole new world of partners you get to go after. And I, I did that with a medical e-commerce company uh, before any of it happened. And we worked with med school fraternities. And they're always trying to raise money. And so we set it up as an affiliate. We had to do our own tracking. But now that's like frictionless. It's very easy to do. Oh, yeah. It just exposes you. It gets people like when they want to buy something. And I'll tell you, as in this example, as a horse enthusiast, Like if I see the trainer that I'm working with and he's using the thing and I can buy it while I'm watching on the phone. You can buy the thing. Yeah. I'm buying the thing. And if I know he's making money, that actually makes me want to buy it more. So that that opens up a whole lot. The other thing that you said earlier was the protection of a preferred publisher. I'm sure you know this too. We we had a huge push of wanting content affiliates and influencers maybe five years ago, six years ago. And it didn't realize the potential we all thought it had. And I think part of that was, is the last click versus first click. So you'd see a lot of awareness, but then someone else would close it a week later and they wouldn't Mm -hmm. get credit for that sale. And so what I love about that technology is it's, it's, you're able to credit for what you want, but also credit the affiliates along the way, whether they started it or stopped. And if you value the in- initiation and the awareness, you get the reward for that. Yeah. You're rewarding like who you truly feel like 
was the most valuable. I'm the most horrific customer when it comes to shopping. Like you <laughs> do not want to see my journey. I, I can't even imagine how many touch points I have because if I find out about a brand from say an influencer that I'm following or even a perfect example, a gal that owns my workout studio, she introduced me to a brand that I had no idea who they were about. And all she had to say was, their swimwear is just amazing fit and the fabric is like butter. That's oh, what wow. she said to me. So I went investigate them. And then I was, of course, me being knowledgeable within the space. I'm like, well, is there a coupon code? And are yeah, they yeah. on Rakuten.com? Okay, they're not there. So are they on Mr. Rebates? No. Are they on Be Frugal? No. Are they on a American Advantage eShopping? No. Darn. All right. I'm going to have to pay full price. I'm not going to get any rewards. So you take the nightmare customer like myself, <laughs> uh, who's always telling people about how they can just get a little bit more. And then you have said, you know, poor gal, like she introduced me to them. So, and she's actually an, an influencer for uh, Lululemon too. You know, she has a code where, yeah, oftentimes I will shop with her code, but there's more often than not, poor thing, American Airlines will do like an accelerated miles thing. And if I'm going to be making a big purchase, I'll go the mileage route. Cause I'm like, wow, I want those miles. Yeah. Um, but they don't get to see, you know, poor brands don't get to see truly what a, an article on good housekeeping did for them because they're doing that last click. Yeah. And now we have so much technology. So when we go back to like advertisers distrusting the channel, I feel like all of those things have been taken into account and addressed through really good technology, whether it's the stuff you talked about, or I know Sharacell has really cool cart sniping, yeah, link connector and other, it has the naked coupons, pepper jam, and now ascend and, and others have the preferred customer. Many of them, you're able to split commissions. And I think even impact, you're able to bring in data from other channels. You and are. Credit yeah. the affiliate. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. I've never used it. And I've always wanted to, though, to be honest with you. I've never had a brand. A lot of the brands that I've managed on Impact have been you know, your everyday names within the space. And they've never wanted to utilize what is it called is it optimized i feel like it might be called. i think so yeah yeah they never wanted to kind of pull in there they were like oh we don't want to make sure we don't want to give them that full picture gosh no what is impact possibly going to do with it so i've never had someone outside of allow them to make better decisions on their digital yeah, marketing exactly. budget right they like, oh they thought they were going to do so i've actually had clients who have said, I'm going to want to put the pixel on my order confirmation page, then they're going to know (laughs) it. So yeah, I've never had anyone use it, but it's, uh, you know, to, to my understanding, it really, it's not necessarily like you, you know, I think um, Rakuten was going to roll something out similar. Like you can't actually do some actionable things on it, but you act, you still have to perform that action. But it at least gives you that full path so you can see what's going on as opposed to yeah. the brand who, you know, a lot of brands can't afford to engage with Convertro or Measured or Rockerbox or some of those attribution softwares. They're just cost prohibitive and, you know, they haven't gone down that route. And so, you know, the network 
certainly by plugging that in. And I've pieced together some things with Google Analytics at times to see just kind of how many touch points for certain things. But it's definitely not as cut and dry as as some of the tools the network's rolling out where you can kind of get that bigger picture of all worlds. Yeah. And that's visibility. And really, what I've always seen is we may want the consumer to behave a certain way, but if they really are utilizing every channel and then their journey, they're getting a catalog, they're visiting a store, they're clicking on a paid search ad and they're visiting four affiliates and they close at their rewards mall or their miles mall. That's how they're behaving. And now you have visibility in that to make decisions to optimize your spend and to optimize the ROI and, and, and the results that, that you're getting. So that that's really some some pretty exciting things. You talked about influencers a little bit. And so definitely through the pandemic and, and now we're seeing a, a resurgence in influencers and PR come into, into the space. Talk to me a little bit about this trend. So we'll touch influencers first. I've had so many brands come to me and say, we have a couple of folks that we know you know, love the brand and we're just not sure what to do with them. And they're not sure whether to have like a full on, almost like a an influencer or a brand ambassador program or, hey, like, let's just, we're only going to pay them. We're giving them product and we're going to pay them a little bit of commission. So here, our affiliate team can manage those. Uh, what they don't see, knowing that, you know, they kind of already, maybe they have those folks um, within their wheelhouse already and already kind of receiving product. What they don't see is the, it is wonderful, but it's the the juice really worth the squeeze, I think is the, the saying. It takes a lot of effort, uh, which, you know, we've had brands, oh, more influencers, more influencers, thinking of an influencer. And I'm thinking of a couple of instances where you've found the person, you've reached out to them. Uh, finding the person, you know, now you we have the right tools to try to find the right person. Um, except it's still, you know, very much you don't necessarily know how said brand is going to perform. You just know how maybe similar brands have performed. But once you find the right person and you've reached out to them, well, picture yourself reaching out to even some of the traditional affiliate partners or the editorial. But by the time they get back to you. And think of an influencer as a, you know, that individual person, maybe they're on vacation and they never saw your email and then you're reaching out to them again. And then when you finally hear back from them, that negotiation piece happens and you're going back and forth on commission or maybe they want a flat fee and, you know, then, okay, we're going to give you X in product. Well, then they're trying to pick the product and you're shipping the product. Like there's so many pieces within that influencer realm that it's almost a full-time job. It's at least a full-time job if you're you want a robust influencer program. That being said, it can all get tracked through the affiliate network um, to these days. And then, you know, enter some of the the influencer networks that can kind of turn your existing customers into brand advocates. And, you know, they play a role within the space. But when you're asking your affiliate team to concentrate solely on influencers, you're, you know, taking away some time from them where it might be a bigger win to go ahead and invest whatever flat fee it might happen to be from an integration standpoint to work with, I don't know, uh, go with List, L-Y-S-T. Uh, if it's a you know, kind of a, a luxury fashion brand, maybe it's more worth it to do that than for an affiliate team to turn around and at the end of two months, they've gotten product into three people's hands 
and you saw a handful of clicks. It's very much, you know, I'll look at influencers and that's how I find out about new brands for sure. Um, but it's not as cut and dry as oh, let's add 10 influencers and the, the revenue, you know, each one of them is going to drive X in revenue. Like there's really no way to tell except spend that time and that investment. I mean, I had an influencer, we sent product in June and then she had a, a series of tragedies and she wasn't able to end up posting for the brand until October. Oh, no. You know, so you've got these personalities, like they're actually, they're human stuff is going to happen within their life yeah. as opposed to, you know, at Rakuten, if, you know, X person is out of the office, they've got somebody to cover for them. You know, these are actual people with, with feelings. And a lot of times too, the brands have to understand, like if you're asking for them to give a review and a lot of influencers won't commit to pop, um, to, to coverage, even from a straight, if it's just a performance aspect, they're okay, send it to me. And if, if she likes it, or if, from their manager's mouth, right, if she likes it, I'm sure she'll talk about it. But if you want to guarantee she's going to talk about it, that's going to be $5,000 for an Instagram story. So you can get pretty yeah. pricey within that space for sure. Yeah. And one thing we show clients, we have this uh, graphic that shows it's sort of uh, velocity or, or time. And with traditional <laughs> affiliates, we can move very quickly. You can go from, you know, identifying a partner to generating sales in a very short amount of time with traditional affiliates. But the time frame expectations need to be different for influencers in that it, it can be successful, but there's a lot of testing that goes in that is involved. Again, you're dealing with individuals with their own schedules and, and things like that. Um, so there's just an expectation needs to be set that's different and to know how much time you want dedicated to that sort of market. And then I always say, if you don't have, put a blog post, if your program isn't structured in a way to incentivize those partners, and there are things like, you know, your commission rate for one, but are they a preferred partner? So are you protecting that la that first click? And yeah. then a return days. So an influencer and a and a, you know is an awareness play in a lot of ways top of funnel, and if they're further close you know closer to the original intent, you're going to need to give them more time to close that sale because there's yeah. research the customer journey is is much different. So we have a few minutes left. You've managed clients for you know almost twenty years, been in the space for a long time, worked with so many different types of clients. What should your clients be asking you? What should they be asking a seasoned affiliate manager right now? You know, what they should be asking. For me, what I ask them is, you know, they're hiring us to manage a full channel. And it oftentimes is one of the most profitable channels. But uh, what I appreciate from a client asking us are things like, what are you seeing are the newest, like the newest, latest and greatest trends within the space? How can I make sure like making sure that all of their concerns are voiced to us, and not just kind of sitting on kind of what they're looking at internally, like don't, uh, you know, if we're kicking off your affiliate program, I'm going to ask every question under the sun that I can possibly imagine. But if they know that their CEO is laser focused on new customer, that's certainly something that the client should make sure that they're sharing out of the gate. So I like to ask just a ridiculous amount of questions. How do we say that? I like to ask a ton of questions of the client because 
as we're working as an extension of them, the last thing I want to be doing is going to them every other moment, whether it be on Slack or in an email or Teams. Oh, Jamie, so-and-so wants to do this. Can we give that product away? So-and-so wants to do that. Can we this? Or, you know, or, you know, can we afford X dollars in this particular placement? Or what is my budget for the month? Knowing that a client, you know, has said budget, but which we often do going into it, you know, knowing that maybe there is that flexibility if the, there is a healthy ROAS for the channel and the client can say, okay, you know what? We, we told you our budget for this month was $25,000, but wow, the sale is really killing it. And we love that. Keep going is music to our ears as opposed to, I actually had a time way back when, when our budget was very set. And I can't remember if it was Old Navy or Gap. It was one of them. And it was mid-November and we had to make some really tough decisions about the channel because they had a set budget and we couldn't spend more. Um, so we made a, a lot of decisions way back when. And it was, you know, as opposed to you know, making sure that all the powers that be understand that at its core, it's a performance marketing channel. So while we certainly will bring to the table some flat fee opportunities and uh, opportunities to work with all types of different partners within the space, our goal is to make sure that this is one of the most profitable channels for them. So ensuring that the client is asking us like all of their invoicing, all of their major concerns to us out of the gate. Um, and if they do all of a sudden change from, okay, we need a row, we need to hit at least a row as of, I don't know, random numbers of, of, of five, but then three months later, they have an internal meeting and they're told that new customers are the thing to do. And, and they, they're even fine with getting a new customer at a, a two, as an example, making sure that they're being tr super transparent with us and we'll be as transparent with them. Um, you know, I love having access to a client's GA as, as much as they're sometimes they're thinking, oh gosh, what are they doing with this? You know, I like to see as the, the whole brand is growing. I like to see the affiliate channel growing as a portion of that whole as well. And then all of a sudden, if the brand is down from a month over month perspective by say 5% and the affiliate channel is down 5%, well, that changes that conversation because, you know, we're not just, it's not, oh, wow, you're down. We can then say, okay, well, I noticed the brand is down too. How can we help you, you know, with this? What is going on from a brand perspective or, or what challenges are you having? And just having that open conversation and that just fluid back and forth and, and just ensuring that the, the client knows like we're there to make them look amazing. Yeah. But I love to. The client is just asking about, well, how does this card linked offer thing work? How does buy now, pay later work? If we do want influencers, realistically, how long is that going to take? And just understanding, you know, they don't know how to, how to actually do the thing, which now I sound like Flagitza, but they, <laughs> you know, should have, I like arming them with a general idea of how long something's going to take or yeah, yeah. how something works within the space. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, what, what can the client ask me is anything, literally anything they want to ask me. I'm usually an open book as most folks within the space know. I mean, I've even engaged and taken on some pieces where it's been a smaller brand. They had no idea how to set up the program. They ultimately knew that they weren't, you know, they wanted to hire someone in-house. And I've literally 
you know, after six months of working with them, brought somebody aboard and trained them soup to nuts on the network and said, I understand outsource is not for you. It's not for everyone. Um, so here's that person's, you know, here's how I can set them up. Are they going to know the years upon years upon years and the people that we know within the space? No, but that's the that's what they're going to get out of working with a team of super experienced folks, folks within the space. Um, it's going to be a much different approach than somebody who just sat in on a, a little, you know, I don't know, LinkedIn or Udemy webinar about affiliate marketing. You get you get the brains uh, behind our team and the the years of experience um, when you you do outsource to somebody. Awesome. Yes, definitely. Ask all the questions. So uh, I don't know about your dog, but my dog is letting me know it's time to let her back into the room. And that puts us right at time as well. So Samantha, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of what I know is a very busy schedule this week to spend some time on the podcast. Lots of like really good deep dive information into so many different things about affiliate marketing. I think this is probably one of the, the, the meatiest podcast episodes that we've had. So thank you. I'm not surprised at all. Thank you so much. Mine's in this puppy pool. So I'm going to go bring him in too. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Samantha. Thank you. Samantha, thank you for taking time out. I know we are really busy. It is the, getting to be the end of Q2. We're gearing up for Q3, back to school, and Q4, getting all those plans underway. So I know you're busy. Thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed this episode. And man, we covered a lot of stuff. So you know, we talked about you know, media, affiliates, commerce, affiliates, card-linked offers, and really dove into a lot of the network tech that's available. So definitely go back and listen to that about preferred publishers, the ability to track your customer through their journey and all the affiliates, being able to split commissions, coupon code recognition in the pixel, coupon exclusion, preferred publishers and protecting the right type of publishers, first click versus last click. And hey, every podcast that talks about horses is a good one for me. So we talk about really some unique examples of how you can now with technology that we have empower non-traditional affiliates who are reaching your audience in different ways, empower them to promote your products and earn money. Uh, and then the last thing, what our affiliate managers or what clients should be asking their affiliate managers. That was a great one. And, and especially with Samantha, you've got 20 some odd years of experience there. Ask all the questions you want. So uh, Samantha, again, thank you. I'm so glad and I'm so excited you are on our team. Already seen some amazing things you've done with our clients and excited to have you on the podcast again. Now, if you are getting geared up for Q4, probably by the time that this is published, it's getting to be hot and heavy with Q4 planning. And you need help to figure out maybe you need to figure out the influencer, affluencer, PR thing and what's happening there. Maybe you just need to figure out what your strategy is for growth in Q4 and how you leverage all your tools and your budget most effectively to generate as much ROI and ROAS that you can, but you may need help. So you can get help two ways from us. You can email us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com and I will set up a time for us to chat or you can go to 
calendly.com slash Jamie Birch and set up time with me directly. And we'll go over, you can set up 15 minutes, half hour, even an hour. All that is, you know, no strings attached, no charge. And we'll walk through what you got going on. But we also offer an audit and roadmap product. So if you would like us to take a deep dive into your program, every aspect of your program and provide you with a plan for the next year, then just include audit in the subject line when you email us at gethelp at jbcommerce.com. I really appreciate you guys listening. I hope that you got as much out of this episode as I did. And if you liked the podcast, please share it with your friends. Go share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and leave us a five-star review, whether that is on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or the podcast player that you choose. Leave us a five-star our review. That helps us get the word out about this podcast. And we're always looking, right now we're looking for guests for season three. So if you would like to be on season three or you know someone that should be, please just email us at gethelp at jbcommerce.com and put guest in the subject line. Again, thank you for listening. If you have any other ideas or thoughts, just let us know. <laughs> <laughs>